Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. So we're in a series which we started a while back in the book of 1 Corinthians. And rather than talk about Mother's Day, we're just going to talk about a really hard passage in the Bible. You ready for that? Has nothing to do with being a mom. Um, What we're going to be reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And and just let me give you a little bit kind of of an update where we're at. Paul's writing, it's the mid-50s A.D., He's writing to a group of friends in a city named Corinth. It's an ancient city. Paul had spent a year and a a half of his life there establishing what would come to be known as a church. So it's a a group of people who have decided to be followers or disciples of Jesus. And the unique things about this church is it's the first church which is made up almost entirely of non-Jewish people. And that's gonna be really unique what Paul says to them, it's important. They're saying, hey, it's not, about, uh, it's not about your former culture. It's about this new life, this new kingdom that God is bringing you into. Now, before we jump into the text, I do want to tell you this. Paul is going to talk about things that had happened centuries before. And he's going to refer to what we call the Old Testament. So we divide up the Bible into the New Testament. Those are the books that were written after the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament were all the books that were there before. They were central to Jewish or Hebrew society. And what Paul is going to do is for a group of Greek people who would have been completely unfamiliar with the Old Testament. It wasn't a part of their culture. They knew the teachings of Plato and Socrates and the other Greek philosophers, but they had no understanding of the ancient Hebrew scriptures. Paul is going to tell them this. It's really important that you understand what God has been doing on planet earth before the point where you're living now, because there are lessons to be learned. So I wanna just show you a a diagram to maybe help us understand what Paul's doing a little bit. So here we typically kind of divide up human history into let's say this is where we're at now, 2021. Let's say that this is where Jesus came. Okay, and this is where the Corinthians are living. They're just a couple of decades after Jesus left planet Earth physically. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, I want you to not just think about human history and even the Bible in a linear fashion. Okay, I don't want you to think about, okay, this is when human beings started using stones for tools, right? And we like emerged from like primitive society. He's gonna say this. I think it would be beneficial for you to think of human history in a different way, that it is cyclical, okay? And here's what I mean by cyclical. Paul's gonna bring up four dangers and he's gonna reference, wait, so here they are. He's gonna say, I'm gonna point you to four dangers that the Hebrew people faced centuries before that are the same dangers that you are facing today. In fact, he's gonna say, the Corinthian church is flirting with these challenges. And he's gonna say, it's important for you to understand 
from Numbers and Exodus to the Old Testament uh, books in the Bible so that you can avoid these. So these four challenges would be listed here. And here's what I mean by human nature being cyclical. Time moves on. But the Bible teaches this, and it's very disturbing. It's not popular belief today. There is something intrinsically wrong with human beings. That we are broken. That we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot become good enough to heal the rift that exists between us and God. And that because we are broken inside, we need a healer. So a large part of the message of the Bible is that there was a healer, someone who came to resurrect human beings, to live the life that no human being had ever been able to live so that we could become spiritually revitalized. That's the person of Jesus. But these challenges, it doesn't matter if you're living in 1810 BC or if you're living in 2021 or if you're living in 55 AD, These challenges are things that always trap up human beings, no matter when you live. And he's going to warn them. And then we're going to talk about those warnings in our lives as well. Are you ready? We're going to have to do a lot of context because Paul's going to refer to these ancient, ancient stories. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, ignorant means like we just don't know anything. We're unfamiliar with that. That's not part of our culture. We never read that part of the Bible. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, it's really interesting, he says our ancestors, Paul's a Jewish Hebrew person, these are Greek people, but he includes them in this story of God. Our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Pause there for a moment. Paul's going way back to the book of Exodus, where the Hebrew people have been slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years. And when God sets them free, they're going to do two things. They're going to cross the Red Sea, okay, which is this from one kingdom to another. And Paul says this is like a metaphor for what God does from a life where you've been a slave to either Egypt or to your own desires and your sin to a new life and a new sense of freedom. And a cloud covers them. So this whole time they they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they just like... In the daytime, they look up, there's this cloud, it shows them where to go, probably provides some sort of shade. So this is, they all pass through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. So he says, what we do, we have a baptismal tank over here. He goes, it's similar, but there's this new meaning. We've been immersed in God and brought out. They all ate the same spiritual food and drink, um, and drank the same spiritual drink. So what is he talking about here? Just a little point to help us understand. We use the word spiritual in English, and we refer to some things being spiritual and maybe some things being secular, right? So spiritual means, yeah, that's like, uh, it's about faith, it's about God. When Paul or when the New Testament writers use the word spiritual, here's what they mean. They mean God animated. God has breathed life into this. So what is he referring to? Well, when they cross the Red Sea and they're now wandering for 40 years in the desert, you got a couple of significant problems. There's a minimum of 650,000 Hebrew slaves. When you're in the Sinai Desert, what do you eat and what do you drink? Well, God sends them this supernatural spiritual food. It's God-animated food. So they wake up one morning and there's this stuff covering the ground. 
And they asked this question, what is it? Do you know what they called it? They called it manna. You know what manna, how you translate manna? What is it? And it's this food that God just uh, like appeared on the ground. They gather it together. It's six days a week it appears. They eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 40 years. Anybody get a little bit tired of that maybe? But it supernaturally sustains them. And so every morning for breakfast, you eat manna. You eat, what is it? Every day for lunch, you eat, what is it? And every day for dinner, you eat, what is it? For 40 years. So it's a spiritual food. And then they drank from the same spiritual drink. At the beginning of the whole Exodus, there's this problem. Everybody's thirsty and there's a rock. And God says, Moses, I'm going to bring water out of that rock. You just do this little thing and water's going to come out and it'll provide for them. Okay, so spiritual, God animated food and drink. For they drank from the same spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So as Paul looks back these thousands of years, he says, and then there's this like, there's this metaphor, there's this analogy that they could always find what they needed. Just like you can always find what you need in Jesus Christ. We'll move on. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In fact, it appears that only two of them who originally left Egypt survive and make it into the promised land 40 years later. Now, these things occurred as examples. So this is, this is really, really important. Paul's gonna say this here in verse six and then verse 11. Why are these ancient stories important? These things occurred as examples to keep us People who live in Corinth in 55 AD, people who live in this area in 2021 AD to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. So here's his four big challenges. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We'll explain this in a moment. We should not commit sexual immorality. Here's the second thing, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, testing God, as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. Sounds like a scary movie, doesn't it? I'm gonna talk about this. What does that mean? And do not grumble. Here's this fourth thing. Do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them. These ancient stories in the Old Testament as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Okay, first, let's jump into these four issues that the church in Corinth is flirting with. They are these four issues that human beings continue to be susceptible to because we keep doing the same things. The first issue is this, idolatry. Idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? Well, in the ancient world, it was really easy to understand because everyone was spiritual and what you did is you custom made a God to meet your expectations. And so there were idols everywhere. You had little idols of your God or goddess that you kept in your house. There were big idols that you went to worship at the appropriate temple. And you usually covered them with gold and silver and jewels. And these, you, you put your trust and your hope in these gods to keep you safe, to protect you from your enemies, to make you prosperous, to keep you healthy. 
okay? And God has never been okay with idolatry. In fact, the 10 commandments start this way. Don't have any other gods. God says he's actually jealous for us. He wants all of our affection to be towards him. So when Paul says this, he's referring to this passage of scripture from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. Make a God that we can manipulate, that we can determine how this God acts and responds to us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So Moses has gone up the mountain. He's been gone for 40 days. And he's up there eventually getting the Ten Commandments. Okay, think of the old movie. He's going to walk down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. During that 40-day period, the people are like, ah. Like, we want a tangible God like the Egyptians had. We want a God that you can carry around. We don't want this God who's all powerful and we have to follow him. And so they look at Aaron, the priest, who's Moses' brother, and they're like, hey, make us a God. Like one we're more comfortable with than this one who like makes Moses disappear. And so they, they fashion a golden calf. Now, in Egypt, one of their gods was represented by a big bull. So I don't know if they don't have enough material, but instead of making a bull, they make a calf. Now, I have all kinds of questions about this. I've helped enough of you with Roundup and branding. So like there is, there is nothing in a calf that I think, is that a god? <laughs> no, no, like, I'm not sure why they were drawn towards a golden calf. But they bring all their jewelry and they melt it down and Aaron shapes this golden calf that they can worship. And here's what Paul says. One of the biggest challenges for human beings, thing that the Corinthians are flirting with and thing that people in 2021 are flirting with is idolatry. Now I know it probably none of us are like, oh, we're hearing this like, I better go tear down that statue to Molech in my backyard. Because we don't have these. But if you define idolatry this way, it's anything that I look to for my protection, my hope, I put my faith in, I place my security in it. If you define idolatry that way, suddenly we have to be conscientious that another human being could become an idol. That my job or my career or my finances could become an idol. It's something that I give myself Two, it's something I trust other than God. So this is what Paul says. Learn from the ancient story in Exodus so you don't start to worship idols. Replace God. Here's the second big warning. It's not just idolatry. The second one is sexual immorality. So Paul's been talking about this a lot to the people in Corinth because they had this completely different Greek sexual ethic. And now that they've come into this new reality, this new kingdom of following Jesus, Paul's trying to help them to understand that God made sex, but he made it to be beautiful, to be fully functioning in this context of a covenant relationship between a husband and wife. And that's where it's supposed to be. But throughout human history, this has been that second big challenge is that sex becomes um, purely physical or it becomes a way that one person dominates another or it becomes uh, empty of what it was meant to be. God says, no, 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 it's sacred, it's sacred. And this big challenge that you're facing is that you become immoral. And he refers to this passage from the Old Testament from the book of Numbers chapter 25. While Israel was staying in 
Okay, so you know it's gonna be bad if this is the name of your city, okay? While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge, that is how you pronounce it, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality, this is porneia, uh, with uh, Moabite women. Okay, so first, they compromise themselves sexually, who invite them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. The, Moab, the Moabites worship a god named Baal, B-A-A-L. And Paul says, I want you to be really familiar with these old stories. Because not only is idolatry an issue, but for every generation of human beings who are trying to follow Jesus, immorality is also going to be an issue. Brings us to the third warning. He says, here's the other thing you're flirting with. You're testing God. You're testing God. It's the opposite of trusting the Lord. When you're testing God, <clears throat> you're you're trying to bend God to meet your expectations. You're trying to say, God, you exist for me. This is a profound difference, right? Sometimes we want God, and he exists for us. Like, you exist to make me happy, God. You exist to provide for everything I need, God. You exist for me. In reality, that is testing God. We exist for him. I exist to serve you, to worship you, to follow you, to do your work. God, you do not exist for me. And what they're doing is they are testing God. Here's what Paul refers to from the ancient stories. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They get so frustrated. There's a coup attempt that happens. And God says, quit testing me. Quit like coming up to the line. It's like, okay, I know, I know that I'm supposed to be over here, but God, what do you think about this? Did I get in trouble? It's pushing God, hoping that he does exactly what you want. So every generation will face this testing God, manipulating God. Here's the fourth and final challenge. It's grumbling. This is kind of funny because this one doesn't seem to be like, kind of as severe as the others, does it? But through the story of the people wandering through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, this is a theme that just comes up all the time. Where they're discontent with God and they're ungrateful and they grumble. Man, God doesn't do what I want him to do. In fact, this is what Paul's referring to when he writes this. People say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food, the supernatural food that they gather every day. They're like, we detest it. We just want good old Egyptian bread. We'd be happy to go back to a life of slavery. Grumbling is when I lose that place where I'm just grateful. I'm in awe of God. Where I lose that sense of, God, thanks that I'm alive another day. Thank you that you love me. It's, it's this sense of uh, a, a deep kind of like rebellion at a, like in a soft way against God. That God, I'm just going to grumble a little bit more today. I'm just going to be frustrated. And God was very, very frustrated with them. So these are the four things, right? They're living here. 
Paul says, I want you to be familiar with stories that you don't know. Because if you can be familiar with these stories, they could keep us from making the same mistakes. Right. Here's what I'd like to do with our remainder of our time. I want to talk a little bit because Paul like opens up this door for us on how believers today, so followers of Jesus, and I know some of us are unresolved, we're not sure what we believe, but I think this could be helpful to you. How, as believers, do we relate to the Old Testament? How do you read the Old Testament, these books written before Jesus? This is a question I've had, I've struggled with, I've, I've tried to study in this, but it is a question that I get asked every week of my life. How do I read the Old Testament? How do I understand the Old Testament? These ancient stories that Paul was just saying were so important. Like, how do I go through that? Has anybody ever tried to read parts of the Old Testament and you just came away like, I don't know. I just like, I don't know what that, I remember the first time I read through the book of Leviticus, I was uh, probably right in high school and I like powered through it. And the only thing that I could remember and understand from the book of Leviticus was this. There's a command that says, do not eat bats. And I was like, yes, I'm successful in that because I've never looked at a bat and thought, hmm, I wonder what that would taste like on the grill. By the way, we found out that not a good idea to eat bats. God knew that some 4,000 years ago. So sometimes we read it like that. So here's just some principles on reading the Old Testament. And so if you're a, a follower of Jesus, Hopefully these are helpful to you as you engage the whole of the Bible. And if you're just trying to figure out what you believe, hopefully these help you understand some of the really difficult passages. Because every passage that we just read, people died. And that's hard for us to understand at times. Here's uh, my principles. <clears throat> Number one, when you're reading the Old Testament in particular, remember that the Bible is a long narrative with one story that pulls it all together. So the Bible is written over a period of many centuries. There's 66 books. It takes place on four different continents and there's dozens of writers. But the one thing that ties it all together is that there's this meta narrative, there's this story and I can show you in this. If you went to the very beginning of your Bible, <clears throat> Genesis chapter one, this is the story, is that God this loving, gracious, creative God made the world and he made human beings. And he said, I want human beings to walk with me. I want to be in relationship with my created people. I want you to be able to know me and I want to know you. And then three chapters later, human beings rebel against God. And you could go through all the rest of this text and the big story is this, is God is trying to reconnect and heal what was broken between the first human beings and us today. If you go to the very last chapter of the Bible in the book of Revelation, here's the end of the story. We're back in a garden and we're in harmony with God. We walk with our creator without fear. We know him and we're partners with him. The first chapter and the last chapter and everything in between is God dealing with the problems that we cannot solve ourselves. It's one big story. Here's the second principle when you're reading the ancient stories. 
read the individual stories in light of the meta or the overarching story, okay? So have you ever read a story? Like, there's some stories in the book of Judges, and you're like, what? Um, there's a story, we just referenced it from Numbers chapter 5, where the, 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 the people are grumbling against God, and these snakes, these venomous snakes come in, and they start killing people. And God says, or Moses says to God, what should I do about this? And God says this, okay? Just imagine if you read this story and you didn't have the big picture involved. God says, okay, Moses, I want you to take a bronze sculpture of a snake. I want you to put it on a really long wooden pole and I want you to carry it out. And everybody who looks at the bronze snake on the stake elevated will be saved from the toxin in the venom of the snakes. If I just read that story and I'm not thinking about like the big story, how might I apply that? We live right against the rims. We have rattlesnakes in our backyard. So what if you came over to my house and I had like sticks with bronze snakes facing the rims? Like if I get bit, all I have to do is look up there. No, it's part of a bigger story. What's the big story? One day, someone named Jesus would come. And he would be attached to a stick and elevated. And everyone who would look to him would be saved from the venom and the toxin of sin. That he would be the healer. All of these old stories some way begin to point towards Jesus and what he would do. So read the individual stories in light of the overarching story. Here's the third thing. Understand this. You are part of the story. You are part of the story. Paul says to a group of people who are living in Corinth, how did he introduce this? He goes, I want you to remember and learn from your ancestors. They're like, they're not our ancestors. Paul, you're a Hebrew person. We're not. Paul says this. Oh, no, no. When you become a part of the family of God, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you've been adopted in to the story of redemption that God is taking, that God is accomplishing here on planet earth. And so now when I go back, I can read about Abraham and he is my ancestor. I can read about what happened to Moses and I can say, I need to pay attention to these stories because I am part of what is happening on planet earth. So it makes me not read it historically, but it makes me read it in a personal way. I'm part of this. Here's the fourth principle. As, as you read the Old Testament, know the whole Bible. Okay, so <laughs> there are certain parts of the Bible that you can read, like Corinthians. I love this. This is a 2,000 year old book we're studying, but it just seems to apply to almost every area of our life. Have you noticed that? But there are other passages of scripture. When you go back, anybody read the book of Numbers lately? It's like, you did. It's like one census after another and like so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and there were 42 people and then so-and-so and yeah. And you're like, it's just a little bit mind-numbing at times. So we can sometimes dismiss some of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but it's all important. And Paul does this. He brings up these stories from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers to say, these are important for you to know because they could keep you from banging your head against the wall in the future. In fact, <clears throat> I sometimes struggle, and I don't mean to step on your toes, but I do want to like cause you to think a little bit. There are uh, 
lot of people in the world today, I just had a discussion a couple of weeks ago with somebody who said this. Um, we were talking about an issue in their life, and I thought, let's go to the scriptures. And they said, well, I don't really pay attention to that because it's not a red letter. Red letter. Now, what does that mean? In many of our translations of the Bible, anything that is attributed as a quote to Jesus is printed in red ink. And so there's a tendency today to uh, say, hey, I only pay attention to the things in red. Those are the things that Jesus said, right? But the whole book is incredibly important. Here's what Paul tells a young guy named Timothy, who's a pastor in a city called Ephesus. And Timothy is actually Greek. He was raised in a Greek home, and he had to learn the Old Testament. This is what Paul says about the Bible. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture. Well, Paul writes all scripture. He's not talking about the New Testament. It didn't exist. Paul's talking about the ancient Old Testament. All scripture is God-breathed. Okay, do you remember where we said the word spiritual means God animated? This is the exact same concept. He says all scripture, Leviticus, Genesis, Deuteronomy, the minor prophets, is God animated. That God breathes his life into it and is useful. All scripture is useful for teaching. Help me understand what life is really all about. Help me comprehend truth. It's useful for rebuking. That through these ancient stories, God will say, don't, no, no, no. That will jeopardize what it means to be a true human being. Correcting. All scripture can help me go, wait, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. And training in righteousness. So that, so that. The servant of God may be thoroughly, not partially, but thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I want you to be familiar with the entirety of the Bible because it can correct you, rebuke you, train you, and it will prepare you. It will prepare you so that you can do the things that God wants you to do, so that you can avoid these cyclical things that every generation of humanity gets stuck in. Number five, embrace parallel truths. Okay, now, this is, be patient with me. Um, you and I are Western in the way we think. You just are. We're part of like Greek culture, the way we think, the way we consider the world and what happens. So we run into challenges. Anybody ever read parts of the Old Testament and you're like, ouch, like that, all those people had to die? Like, have you ever read the Old Testament and said, God, that doesn't seem fair. Let's see fair. It's a legitimate thing. So we come to issues like this. Let's say this is God's justice. He determines what's right and wrong. He determines what needs to be addressed. And then we have God's mercy. And we read a passage like maybe it's the life of Jesus. And Jesus is so merciful and loving and kind and compassionate. Then we read a passage from the Old Testament where he seems so just. And they seem to be antithetical. They seem to be like, is this the same God? And our way of thinking is either or. Here's something I would love for you to explore in your life. Hebrew people, and especially Hebrew Bible writers and rabbis even today, they have a completely different way of dealing with this. They call it 
parallel truth that God is just and he is merciful. And the two things can be operative at the same time. And just because I'm experiencing justice, maybe I made a terrible mistake, okay? And there are consequences that are involved. Oftentimes when we're in pain because we made a mistake, we think, don't you love me, God? Hebrew thinking says, oh, he's just and he's merciful. This is why they came up with all these different names. If you read through the Old Testament, he's like Jehovah, which was a proper name for God. Jehovah, who's my warrior. Jehovah, who is my physician, my doctor. They have no problem attributing these different realities to God. And as you read through the Old Testament, you're just gonna have to realize, wait a minute, there's justice and there's mercy. And just because this passage is about justice, doesn't mean that mercy is not a part of who God is. And then here's the very last thing. Seek to understand the context. Seek to understand the context. So this has been probably the biggest journey for me. I, I went through all the traditional, you know, like the undergraduate and the graduate degrees, understanding the Bible. And it wasn't until I stopped doing this. I would always open the Bible. I, I remember the first time I made it through the book of Revelation. Last book in the Bible. And I was always asking, like, where are we? Where, where is the U.S.? Where is my time frame in this? I realized I am asking the wrong question. The question to ask is this. What did this mean to the original hearers? And then down the road, I get to ask, and what does this mean to us today? Because if I don't take a little bit of time and think through the situation, what is happening at a political level, at a spiritual level, what, what is happening historically, I'll never, I'll come up with these conclusions that are all about me. And there have been so many people, I'd suggest uh, Brad Gray from Walking the Text. He's a brilliant, we had him here last year, a brilliant first century theologian. Uh, N.T. Wright, who's an Anglican bishop who writes two books every year. You'll have no end of things to read. Who are these people that help us understand the context? What did this mean to them? So that I can understand, I can guard myself from failures in the future. I wanna end with these three questions. Number one, do I read the Bible or do I let the Bible read me? You can have a relationship with this book where you're just like, I'm reading, I'm trying to power through. I would suggest that this is a book that can teach, correct, rebuke, and train you. Let the book read you. Instead, instead of trying to make the Bible relevant to your life, make your life relevant to the Bible. Let the book just do what needs to be done in your life. It's God animated. It's like manna. It's like spiritual food. Here's my second question. What can I learn from the past so that I do not have to learn it the hard way? Anybody ever been to the school of hard knocks? Oh, yeah. So Paul says to the people in Corinth, this book in large part is given to you so you don't have to learn in the school of hard knocks. You can learn about human behavior and human tendencies and avoid it. Here's the third question. What are the opportunities regarding my relationship with the Bible? Okay, here's why I ask it that way. Some of you guys, like you have these incredible disciplines where you read the Bible regularly and out, like, you just, it's heroic. And there are a whole bunch of us 
who the minute I even talk about reading the Bible, the first thing you feel is guilt. <laughs> Where is my Bible? I'm not sure, right? Because we feel like failures. We feel like we picked it up. I didn't understand. What's the opportunity to have a spiritual meal from God, to let him breathe into you some sort of life, to learn from the past, to be instructed and trained and corrected. And so my thought to you would be this, what's your opportunity? Is it reading a verse and meditating on it all day long? Is it, is it just diving in and saying, God, I, like, I understand that this book is bigger than me, but would you just teach me? Would you just teach me something? Because I'm open to be taught, corrected, rebuked, and trained. I, I want to live the life that you've always called me to live, and I want to avoid the mistakes of the past. What's your opportunity? We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.